I'm just looking for yeah. some Alex Simmons. And you have found him here. Hey, what's up, Alex local Simmons? Guy. How are you? This is Chris Ryan. Are we ready to tell the damn story? Boy, are we. And we got all kinds of things happening. I'm, I'm in a, uh, a neighborhood diner uh, grabbing something to eat after an extremely long day. So, folks, if you hear you know, interesting music in the background and garbling conversations, you'll know that it's not that active at my house. <laughs> it's the local just, atmosphere. It's just Alex Simmons, friendly neighborhood diner man. Yeah, diner man. There you go. Comic books will out. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing all right. What's going on, man? Well, you know, life in general, man, a lot of stuff. You know, um, last episode, um, I played your interview with uh, Matt and Steven. Uh, the Those guys, coach. what great guys they were. Very nice. Uh, it was fun to interview them. I don't know if they had ever been interviewed before. Um, been trying to share that one with them because uh, I really think they're... Um, the PA brown coats would get a kick out of it, and I bet you they'll send it around to the other local brown coat associations, and everybody can have some fun. So if you're listening, brown coats, we are fans of yours. Come on, have some fun. Shout it out. Now the brown coats. You say PA brown coats, so that's Pennsylvania. For those that's, of you who didn't hear episode seventy-one, that's correct. You were at Philly Con. I was at Phil Con, yep. And um, they were they had a table right outside the main hall. Uh, and I passed them once or twice. I had been interviewing a couple other writers and I said, you know what? These guys have a great story. I'm a I'm a Firefly and Serenity fan. Um, I've watched them and own the DVD of the shows. I've gotten, oh, I don't know how many Whedon books. I have a Firefly book of all the scripts. Yeah, I'm a, I, was, I was ready to talk to these guys, and they did not disappoint. If you haven't heard that episode, episode 71, go back and check them out. They're nice guys, really nice guys. Now, it's funny. I mean, both of us know the name Joss Whedon, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize until episode 71 or until I got the recording of the interview that you were such a Whedon fan. Yeah, I've studied his scripts. Um, Whedon is, um, he's, a, he's a master at uh, storytelling. Uh, he's got a, a tremendous ear for dialogue. Um, he, his father was a, uh, a writer um, for public television and a few other things, if I remember correctly. I'm sure some of the brown coats will correct me. And then he got um, he got his start. Uh, he did Roseanne. Uh, that wasn't a really great fit for him as as a writer. And then he became a, a script doctor, uh, doing innumerable scripts. He still actually does a lot of that, or not a lot of that, but occasionally is brought in. Uh, but most famously, um, he was one of the writers on Toy Story, and that's an immaculate script. That's me. A Disney Toy yeah. Story? Yeah, yeah, he did. He did a pass on that. Um, really cleaned up the uh, dialogue and all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, when my guys were little, they, you know, that was the movie they focused on. So I watched that so many times. I was <laughs> able to learn script writing from you know watching being with my you know my babies 
and then being obsessed with that, I memorized um, the act breaks, the uh, uh, the builds, how the story, the hero's journey went, and um, that was all Joss Whedon. Famously, he he sold the. I think that was a, a dinosaur or um, dragon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what? How to train your dragon? There, no, there was some sound coming on the, on your side. Oh, um, it's it's all kinds of crazy where I am. So the the story goes, he sold uh, Buffy, and they made the film. It was not satisfactory, oh, and he got. Let's not gloss over that. What? Wait a minute. Let's not gloss over that one for a moment. Hold on. Uh, a lot, a lot of a lot of Whedon fans like to gloss over that movie, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I got to pull back on that one because um, I think it's important. That because you're gonna, I know you're gonna give us some background in terms of the the work he did with the series, but we got to start with. I have no idea what his original vision was, and I'm sure it wasn't what we saw well, on the screen. I wait, actually wait, 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 uh, let me set it up. Let me set it up. And I, then you're gonna take I over. I actually I know. think you do know, but okay. Okay, I went in to see this movie. You know, there was a the concept was there, and I was in, interested in it but i mean overall it was it was a mess and so you know I, I figured okay we saw it you know matthew perry got his moment on the big silver screen and out we went and then when the series when the tv series appealed, appeared the tone everything was like okay so there's a little the little humor and camp in there but the tone was so solid and yeah. and I, I, as the first season went on i began to realize how much subtext and real storytelling was going on. So now you as the Whedon fan, you know, here, yes, take us back. What do you know about the difference between what he must have sold the the script to what we saw on the screen to what led us to, thank goodness, the TV series? The core idea of Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie came out of... uh, Whedon watching horror movies and watching the blonde get killed like second or third, right? The black guy always dies first, and then that's the pretty blonde, right? And he said, uh, what if when the monster came to kill the black, the, the uh, little pretty blonde, the little defensive, defenseless girl, what if she turned around and kicked his ass? And that was mm-hmm. the idea for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, he had more to it. The movie didn't embrace the more to it of it. And um, when he was approached again and said, well, listen, we're thinking maybe maybe there's a TV series here. The working metaphor was, okay, high school's hell, right? And most people who've been <laughs> through high school would agree, well, yeah, there's hellish aspects. So... If he took Buffy and put her in a new school because the movie, you know, the, the, they burned down the gym at the end, right? Spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spoilers if you didn't see an almost 30-year-old movie. Um, <laughs> so the idea was, you know, they move her to Sunnydale and it's over a hell mouth. And, you know, that's where he gets the once in every generation, uh, you know, a, a hero is called. You know, da 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 da, and she's called as the Slayer. And 
the rest was uh, first season was kind of the ghoul of the week, but they all, you know, he started playing with metaphor and symbolism. Uh, by the second season, he started expanding from, you know, episodic to longer arcs. Uh, mm-hmm. By the third season, he introduced Faith, and she was the fallen slayer because at the end of the second season, again, spoilers, uh, Buffy dies for a little while. And uh, when that <laughs> happened, yeah, when that happened, Faith was called forth. Um, and so there were two, two slayers for a while. And um, as, as this was all going on, you know, Buffy finds this circle of friends that are very loyal to her. And they become known affectionately as the Scooby gang. Um, and they start to build. And you Yeah, well, no one ever sued him, so God bless him. Um, but each character started taking on a different experience from modern, at that time, modern high school student to young adults, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Willow went in to discover her own first computer skills and then her attraction to Wiki. Uh, beliefs and becoming a witch and all this um and she became uh, uh, another symbol of powerful women um and it you know expanded out from there uh a matter of fact after the third season one of the main characters the romantic interest of buffy broke off into his own uh show angel was a um, the, the bad boy, bad boys. <laughs> yeah, he was a vampire with a soul. He got cursed with a soul. So, um, he, every he feels guilt. He's overwhelmed with guilt for every horrible deed that he did when he was a soulless vampire. And his his series, the metaphor was finding your way. You know, in in the mm-hmm. adult world. You know. Um, so they explored that, and eventually they got almost to the level of a Dante's Inferno type, and then they took on the big corporate greed, which was the station or the the company that was uh, canceling. Yeah. yeah, but it was also they right. stood in for that last season and stood in for the uh, production company that that canceled them after a hundred episodes. Um, while this was going on, while that both Buffy and Angel were at their height. Uh, Whedon signs a deal with uh, Fox for another show and it is a you know you've heard of spaghetti western space cowboys this This is a space western and it actually is inspired by a book that Whedon reads about uh, I think it's the Battle of Gettysburg I know the brown coats will they'll write it it. and um one season, it is excellent. The Whedon fans go over; they eat it up. Fox does not understand it from the <laughs> from the gate. From the gate, they screw it up. They don't play episode one first, so they play them out of order. They start pushing them out long breaks between the episodes for other specials. They really don't know what they have. And they cancel it before the end of the season. They never even show. There's one or two uh, episodes they never show. 
Um, then it goes out in D and DVD uh, box set for this season becomes one of the one of the fastest selling ever. And and you heard this with the interview with the the brown coats. And then it became so popular that when um, when Amy Pascal, I think it was, signed Whedon to a deal and said, "Well, you know, we want you to make a movie for us. What would you make?" And he said, you know, the fans are still going crazy for this. Let's let's tie up that story. Let's do a, a movie of Firefly. Um, but and that was Serenity. Uh, that was what? That was Serenity. Yeah, yeah. Um, but since then, uh, he has, as he has done with Buffy and Angel, he has continued the stories in comic books, and now uh, just recently. Um, a series of n- novels uh, have started coming out. There's a trilogy. Well, the first book is out of uh, the Firefly characters, and it's set in during that first season to flesh out that that season. So there is still very much an appetite and a um, uh, a market for all things Firefly, and the brown coats are evidence of that. They are uh, a fan group. You know that has several uh, chapters in different states and all around the world, but they all do charity work. You know they do fundraisers for local firehouses or this or that. So it's a beautiful thing. And then they do the big fundraiser for Whedon's chosen um, um, charity, and that's that's amazing. Now, to be absolutely. You know, full disclosure, you know, Whedon has gotten a little heat, uh, like so many people in the we uh, the Me Too movement. You know, he's a very known as a, a very big feminist, but apparently there were some some relationships on set. Um, I don't really have a lot of knowledge on that, so he has. You Which know, is fine. So Going to focus yeah, on it. Right? He's he's taken a little hit on that. Uh, to that, I, I can only say, you know, that's for him to work out and the, the ladies he's involved with. It's been noted, but I'm not going to dwell on it from now. I hope that doesn't make me um, an anti-feminist. I'm not. I just don't know enough to speak about that aspect. Good. We're not going to go there because a lot of that is whatever it is and, and some parts of it speculation. But what I really wanted to focus on before we go to the Marvel Universe, is what do you think really led to the success of Buffy and Firefly? I mean, let's face it, it's two separate genres, and you've got one series has a female lead with a cast of, the other series has a male lead with a cast of, uh, one's in space with aliens and things like that, another one's on Earth with, with, with demons and, and vampires and all that radically, or at least one could speculate, somewhat radically different audiences, and yet he resonates mm-hmm. so well. Well, uh, I think is a, is, if a common denominator is a word, what do you think? Well, I think his training, I, um, I'm ashamed to say, I forgot which college he went to um, at the moment, but he got great training. Um, he, he cut his teeth on television early on. Uh, he did all the script writing as a script doctor. So he knew his craft and he knew the genres. He's a, a student of the genres. And then he said, okay, what haven't we seen? And 
I would, I would, you know, after that, it's all character driven. And you take any one of these, (laughs) any one of these shows, and there's five characters that are pretty unforgettable. Every, every, every one of those shows. And he knows what how to. Makes him well, because he he does a couple of things. He uh, he makes them foils for each other, so they can bring out different aspects of characterization in each other. He uh, mm-hmm. bases the uh, relationships on love, even if there's a love hate relationship. You know, there's still love there. Um, there's uh, always question of the human struggle, you know, loyalty, um, uh, honesty, integrity, integrity, all the T's, um, and then dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. It's so funny. There's a, a story about one of the writers who was working on Buffy. Uh, they had broken down this, the uh, season. Everybody got their assignments. Uh, this guy hands in his script and um, Whedon reads it and he says that last line originally belonged to um, uh, I forget which one of the characters and you gave it to Willow because she didn't have enough uh, lines that and he goes yeah I did he goes I can tell it's not a Willow line you know and he knew the characters so well that you could change the lines around, he would still know who was supposed to be saying those lines. And that's really what comes across and what makes the fans so loyal is that these characters are alive for them. And that's that's one of the things that we've talked about repeatedly in our various episodes is knowing your characters, being really connected to who they are so that their voices are very distinct. It's not one voice speaking through five bodies. It's it's every one of them has his or her own personality, point of view, angst, and whatever. And when they speak, those words that come out of their mouth have to sound genuine. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that he's he did in both Firefly and Buffy, and in and particular, <laughs> and, well, and, and yeah, the Avengers. Um, one of the things that uh, I would add to that characterization is that uh, you always have a sense with his characters that they lived lives before the show began. You know? mm. And over the years, those lives, like Xander and Willow, they were friends who were a boy and a girl, but they weren't boyfriend-girlfriend. And they met in kindergarten and bonded over, I think it was a yellow crayon. Here's another thing that Brom Coates might come and correct me over. Um, but <laughs> oh, you know, wouldn't that they, pilot episode... Wouldn't you, they correct you on Firefly? Yeah, that they will correct me for everything. But, um, <laughs> but you get that sense of history from the very first moments that you see them in the pilot in the first episode. Um, and it's not until <laughs> season two or three where we hear about this crayon and all that. And that's one of the things. Um, I do want to talk about a controversial thing with Whedon and his writing. And it ties okay. right into Avengers Endgame. So you tell me how you want to handle that. 
I want to get us to Avengers, and then okay. you can I go will, where you want to go. I will tie Buffy and Firefly and Angel together. Here we go. Ready? In okay. the very first episode or two, uh, the very first two episodes of Buffy, when they're doing the credits, there were like four friends that you see, right? It was mm-hmm. Buffy, it was Willow, uh, Xander, and another guy. And he gets turned into a vampire like the end of the first episode and dies by the second episode. But he's in the credits up until that. And then the third episode, he's not in the credits. The reason that uh, uh, Whedon did that was because he had to show people, this is his belief, that you have to kill somebody to make the stakes real. So... In uh, they did Firefly, and then they did the movie Serenity. And in Serenity, spoiler alert! Yeah, spoiler alert. There's a a character who, uh, you know, he's he's he dies in an organic way. But towards the end, there is another character who dies in a very controversial way that felt like it was shoved in there. Because Whedon believed someone had to die for the stakes to be real. And that has been a, a controversial topic. I bet you the Browncoats would talk about it. Um, it was a moment that people hated because they loved this character. Now, mm. Whedon has taken that idea. He's become the people person who popularized that idea to the point where you hear a lot of fanboy sites... Say, who's going to die? Who's going to die? You know, on this season, of the season ender of Walking Dead, who's going to die? All that. Now, that's not Whedon, but it still has spread mm-hmm. that far. In uh, the Avengers, the first movie, he didn't uh, need to kill anybody because he was putting the team together. But in Age of Ultron, spoilers, he kills a beloved character. To yep. prove that there's stakes. I didn't believe that it was necessary. I thought there was a way to save that character. But that uh, and the widespread use of that to beef up the climax and whatever in so many genre movies and genre uh, shows. Now in the end game, half of our time has been... Who's going to die? Is it going to be Iron Man? Is it going to be Captain America? I'd like to point out to the uh, fans of these genres, a little thing called Avengers Infinity War, (laughs) where half of all civilization died. Half of all civilization. I think we've seen enough death. It might be time for us to consider... As a society that likes these shows and loves these storytelling, that it is time to retire the Whedon rule that you must kill somebody. I think we can do a very satisfying endgame story where rather than somebody dying, everybody comes back, we have a big wedding, and maybe a couple of people ride off into the sunset happily ever after what a switch that would be what a twist if they could have a happily ever after after 20 some odd movies there you go 
And I would say that would be it. I would. I, I love Whedon, but I would lay that at his feet. He's responsible for that um, played out. I will. I, uh, I will say point. this about that. I will say this about that. Um, and I'm not debating you on the Whedon thing in terms of where it fits in cinema, but I'm going to go back to um, to Superman. You know, uh, him dying, and and what that set off. Uh, you know, with with the whole he's dead. Okay, so now we have the rise of the Superman. Oh, you're talking about the comic book. And then we go through. Yeah, the comic mm-hmm. book, right? I'm talking about that because that happened with Frank Miller's impact oh. on the industry when he well, kicked Daredevil's butt down into the dirt. I'm not debating. Right. I'm simply well, no, saying. I'm, I'm just saying in comic that, books, it's a, it's a, kind of a completely different rule where everybody dies, but nobody. But everybody comes dead. back. There was the rule. Yeah, right. There was the rule that every everybody comes back except Bucky, and then Brubaker. Yep. I think it was Brubaker figured out um, the Winter Soldier, which was, you know, mm-hmm. what what a great hats off to him. You know, he was very creative in that way. Um, but Whedon became the uh, uh, got tagged with the you have to kill him so the stakes are real. And in comic books, they come back so often the stakes aren't real. You know, I, and not a debate, but simply saying too that it's something else that the comic book fans who are rushing to see the movies need to play in their heads. You know that this is the way the world works. Batman's back was broken; he's he's an invalid forever. No, only for a year. You know, all of these things that we sort of—I mean, this is a fantasy world we're dealing with, and to some degree, let's remember that. True. Uh, I think, and what you're saying about what you know, Whedon as. Um, as a writer, director, producer, creator, uh, has made his mark on the industry for sure. And, you know, there's controversy about some of the things that he's done, including his his work on Justice League, you know, his vision versus Snyder's vision. So it's, you know, there are all kinds of debates and dialogues to have. I personally, not, not including Whedon in this, I'm just simply saying, I personally wonder about the dark, you know, the the, the attitude that, Everything had to go dark in order for it to be solid and real and powerful and dynamic and, and an audience grabber. Did you uh, hear? Yeah, um, meant to be dark. You did know? you hear the? We're not meant to be dark. Did you hear the recent reveal from Kevin Smith about what the intention for Justice League actually was? Yep. Yes, I did. It, it, yes, I did. First movie dark. Second movie darker. Third movie darkest the light <laughs> no darkest it was yeah, post-apocalyptic no, you know remember that batman um yeah uh desert uh scene yeah that was supposed mm-hmm. to be the reality of the third justice league so maybe you know <laughs> maybe we didn't need to go there well i'm thinking you know jeff jones johns rather and some of the others who might be getting it uh, or getting it back to you know, I, I, you know, my personal thing, and you know, I work a lot with young people. I work a lot with kids. I work a lot with young people. Yeah, some of us are into the dark. You know, some people find that cool. They like vampire movies. They like this. They like that. I mean, I can't watch nine seasons of Walking Dead. I mean, that's that's shoot me medicine there. You know, but ultimately, what I find amazing is is our current society's attitude about you know abysmal dark pushy, negative, hateful, brutal, that these are cool. And this is what the audience supposedly wants more and more and more of. 
And yet my work with young people, you know, in particular, uh, you know, keeping it into the creative end, uh, hundreds of, of screenwriting students and comic book students, hearing them tell tales about something that, yeah, they tell some dark stories, but most of them are looking for some light. They're looking for some way to make sense. They're looking for something that's going to bring them out of, you know, something that's going to help them figure things out, not shoot themselves and say well that's it you know i only want to last about 15. well i think so i hope you're right i hope you're right about about you know letting go of the what you what did you call it the whedon the 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 whedon rule of you know you have to kill your darlings or you have to kill someone to make the stakes real i think i think we've paid the price i think we've had that experience remember how people walked out of infinity war i think the uh, my prediction is that people will walk out joyous as if they've just been to a wedding by the end of that movie. That's what I think. By the end of? Uh, Avengers Endgame. Actually, I, I hope, you know, Chris, I hope that you're really right because, you know, walk out of there, happy ending, wedding, walk off of Charlie Chaplin, off into the sunset, you know, hope is out there. I hope that's all the reality because I think that we do, we need up. We need we need something that says, look up, look for a possible future. I. I, you know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of, uh, and I mentioned this to you in our private conversations, a lot of my writing students for the screenwriting, for their screenwriting or, or comics, you know, they are writing about, you know, some of them are writing about dark stuff or they're writing about, you know, the, 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 the serial killers or whatever. But many of them are writing about something that we win in the end or something like this, a possibility of hope, or at least it's an open-ended thing. Okay, I've made it through this moment, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. But next is out there. It's not all bleak, and and, and it ends in in a, a abysmal destruction. So I'm I'm hoping that that is where this goes, and that we get a chance to really not only enjoy the movie, but walk out of there and go, wow, I can't wait to see what they do next. Yeah, I you know, and I and I'm looking for the big happy ending after 22 films. Uh, I think yeah. I, I think that would be fantastic, yeah. and it would really make all those movies infinitely rewatchable. You know, to have that mm-hmm. up ending, I'd hate to have invested so much time with these these versions, the cinematic versions of these characters, to be heartbroken again. And that's how you want to leave it. I, you know, so I'm hoping. I'm hoping. But there you go. But what is Cap's line in the trailer? He says, um, she, she, Black Widow says to him, this is going to work. And he says, I hope so, because I don't know what I'll do if it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm with him. I'm with Cap on that yeah, one. Yeah. Okay. This has been a great episode, Buck. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a great topic to talk about. Uh, I love talking about creative people. And, uh, and yeah. inspired again. Episode 72, Inspired. By the stars of episode 71, the P.A. Browncoats. You go, babies. Yes, you go. Matt and Steve, you got it. Matt you set it all Steve. up. They didn't even know they were such badasses. Standing there inspiring not one, but two. Two episodes of Tell the Damn Story. Matt and Steve, get on with your bad selves. And spread the word so that not only do your your uh, fellow brown coats watch the episodes that you're or watch or listen to the episodes you're in, 
but they should also listen to the episodes that follow. Yes. All right. Yes. And if no, you're interested in Firefly and Serenity and all oh. that, and look up look up the brown coats. There's one near you, most likely, and you might have a great time. And isn't that what this is all about? So love it. It is. And you know what? I'm going to bring one more thing up before we say goodbye right. because you said it. The brown coats, and I also promised at the end of the last episode, the brown coats also do beneficial things. They do charities and things like that, as does East Avengers and a few others. So I think next time, you know, when we get a chance, we should talk about that cosplay, you know, yeah. and, and serve a purpose beyond, you know, ego or dress up or whatever. Okay. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. I'm going to leave the diner now. Right. <laughs> the crash behind me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> bye bye, buddy. All right, brother. Peace.